This week on a lively experiment, the General Assembly is off and running. The budget, gun control, and marijuana among the issues headlining this year's agenda. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by. For more than 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS. Joining us with their insights, House Majority Leader Joe Sicarci, Blake Filippi, House Minority Leader Michael McCaffrey, Senate Majority Leader, and Dennis Algier, the Senate Minority Leader. Hello everyone and welcome, I'm Jim Hummel. It has become an annual program here on Lively, a preview of what to expect in this year's General Assembly session from those who will be right in the thick of the decision-making process. In what has become a familiar refrain, a looming budget deficit may grab much of the leadership's attention, but there are many other important issues that will play out between now and June. I assume we can all agree it's going to be getting out June because this is an election year, right, Lita Sakarchi? That is the usual past practice. It would be nice to get out sooner, but I think uh, because it's an election year, historically we have gotten out earlier. Let me begin with you, Dennis. Um, I won't call you the oldest, but you were the longest tenured, uh, going on almost 30 years in the Assembly. Uh, every year we talk about the budget, the structural deficit, $200 million, and we've had other panelists on this show say they're concerned because the economy is good now. Can you give us the historical perspective on this? Why can't we get ahead on the budget? Well, the, the, historically we've had a structural deficit. Uh, the red flags have gone up, up over the years. Um, we're mostly concerned about the continuation of the structural deficit. I believe strongly it's a, an expense issue. Um, we simply cannot afford to raise taxes in the state that would drive away businesses and certainly we would not be successful in attracting new businesses. I think we need to work together to continue on our efforts to um, maintain um, uh, our budget with, with our departments. Uh, there's overspending going on in the departments um, and it is an expense issue. Uh, we cannot afford to raise taxes. I can tell you right now, our caucus, the Republican caucus in the Senate, is opposed to any tax increases. As a matter of fact, we'd like to see some reduction in some certain taxes, such as some business taxes. But we have to remain competitive. And the way to do that is to continue in looking at our expenses and looking at ways we can make uh, Rhode Island more attractive in either reducing taxes and try to hold a line in some of the taxes. Joe, we're just shy of $10 billion. And I know the, the speaker has made it clear the car tax phase out is going to continue. Absolutely. At, at, at what point is it unsustainable in terms of the increases we've had? Is this the year you really have to bear down and look at maybe we need to reassess some programs? Well, it's, as Dennis has said, that this is not a new issue. We've had this before. We, we always have structural deficits. It's the nature of the beast. <coughs> uh, their estimates, their revenue estimates, their expense estimates. We don't really know, but I want to put this in perspective. We have a $10 billion, with a B, $10 billion uh, budget. $200 million is not, percentage-wise, a, a significant amount. We've overcome <coughs> that in the past. We'll overcome it again. The governor is going to deliver her budget on Tuesday night to a joint session of the General Assembly. We will look at that. We'll do a deep dive into it, and we'll adjust it, and we will pass constitutionally <coughs> when required to, and we will, and we have in the past, pass a balanced budget in, in we June. We cannot have our departments overspend. There are departments within our state government that continue to overspend, and we cannot allow that. Mike? I, I agree with what uh, both uh, leaders said here. It's important to tighten our belts and watch our expenditures. Obviously, our revenues have been increasing. That's good. 
We've made changes to different tax laws which have kept businesses here, which is good. We want to keep the small businesses here so that they expand and bring employees, which is good for the state. Like. I mean, in fact, we call it a structural deficit. Deficit means there's something wrong in the way we look at government, the structure of our government. government. And I think we need to double down on core government functions, make sure we're paving our roads properly, make sure we're taking care of the most vulnerable children. And then once we perfect those, I think we should expand and look at other nice-to-haves like free college. But I think the state isn't focusing on its core government responsibilities. Does the state have a rainy day fund? Are we funding it every year or we, not? We do have a reserve. I don't know if we're funding it every year, but I know it, it meets the requirements of all the bonding that we've done. So a couple of years ago, and you guys remember this, Blake, it might have been right before you became a representative. The governor presents her budget, and as usually it goes through the House, she got almost everything she wanted with exception of a couple of programs. The General Assembly took it, and it was, a, it was a hefty increase to begin with. It went up at least a couple of percentage points and then increased the budget another 3 or 4% beyond that. And, it, and, it's, and you're not going back on that. So I wonder, you know, there doesn't seem to be a long term to me thinking that so next year you're going to have to fund that plus some more. Do you, and you, well, you sat I, during I, that I, budget. I'd like to, I'd like to uh, if I could. Go right ahead. Um, <coughs> last year the budget was raised well over 4%. We cannot sustain that increase of 4% or more each year. In spending? In spending. It's an expense issue. Number two, we oftentimes balance the budget with one-time fixes. That leads to a structural deficit. That's structural in nature. We cannot rely on the one-time one fixes. We've done that over the years. The governor's running out of scoops, you know, and, that, and the speaker was not pleased with a lot of that last year. I don't think anybody was, just because it, it's, it is a one-time issue when you, when you scoop the money from other departments or other agencies that have that, and that's not a good long-term budget practice. So we, we need to address it, but some of that increase is, is due because federal government, we were able to get revenue. There was a court case regarding taxation, regarding Amazon, that brought a new revenue to the state. Uh, so unfortunately, political people, everybody, there's always a, a constituency that wants more money. There's, I have yet to meet anybody come to the General Assembly and say, my budget is fine, I have extra money, here it is. Everybody wants more money, and there's always the tendency to support that constituency, and that re requires more revenue. So when we get the more revenue, we should put it aside, maybe fund the rainy day fund a little bit more, because the economy is not always going to be as good as it is today, leading to a bigger problem down the road. And, and that goes back to what, what uh, Representative Filippi mentioned, wants versus needs. We have to look at our needs first. There's a lot of wants, and that's what the budget is. It's nothing but a list of priorities. You know, it, you, you can't argue with some of the wants. Uh, they, they, they have merit, but we, we can't continue down that path. We look at what we, we, we need first, you know, infrastructure improvements, um, our most vulnerable in our, in our, our society, the, the, our veterans, our, um, our disabled, uh, mental illness, children. That's what we have to look at. Mike, the Senate president uh, on opening day this week uh, talked about affordable housing, something we haven't heard a lot about, but he had made that a priority. Can you expand on that a little bit sure. and what he envisions? Well, first, first of all, we have a lot of working poor in this state who can't afford houses. He wants to make sure that at some point in time they're able to purchase houses in the state and stay in the state and raise their families in the state. We're seeing jobs in this state like we've never seen before in manufacturing, down at Electric Boat. Some of these people want to buy houses, but they're not able to. But he thinks it's important to invest in that because you're investing in the future of Rhode Island. And so how do you do that? Is it state money? Is it What do you do? Well, I think he's looking at a number of different things to do that, including maybe setting up some bonding for that to incentivize people to 
get into the programs of that nature and things like that. Blake, talk about the Republican caucus on the House side, what you guys are going to be uh, talking about in the coming weeks. Sure. I, I just want to focus on affordable housing real quick. Uh, we currently have a law that says if your town is not at 10% of low to moderate income housing, you're subject to what's called a comprehensive permit, uh, zoning busting permits where you can have high, high density. Um, so that is somewhat working, but people aren't investing capital here. Right now, you can go to a rural town and build a very dense development if they're not at 10%. So I think we need to look at why people aren't investing money, why out-of-state money isn't coming to the state. And I think it has to do with our structural deficits. It has to do with our tax policy. Do you think the 10% is a laudable goal, or do you think that's too much? The way we define the 10% is the problem. In order to be considered part of that 10%, you have to have a government subsidy and a deed restriction. I think it's problematic. Many communities, like some of the ones I represent, have a housing stock that is affordable. Uh, they don't count trailer parks, they don't count any houses which are assessed affordable, which are attainable by people because they don't have a deed restriction or the, uh, the government subsidy. And in some communities we have blighted areas, especially in some of our core cities. It be, would be nice to um, address affordable housing by cleaning up some of those neighborhoods, getting some private investors involved, some government money, maybe some cleanup money from uh, uh, EPA in making those neighborhoods viable, safe, and at the same time, create incentives for owners to live in the homes, perhaps mentors living in the homes, and uh, providing uh, decent financing. So, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. I agree with everything they said. However, I think there's another problem that no one's talked about is simply is the cost. It, the cost is too expensive. It's too, it's too expensive for land costs. It's too expensive to permit. It's too expensive to build. So what we need to do is take a comprehensive look at the permitting process and how that, how the delay in that, how much it costs. To make it attractive and, to develop. Exactly. And what we need to do, we've done that in the General Assembly. We've passed some legislation where you can actually create uh, in-law apartments without the need to go to zoning. So if you have a relative who needs assistance, they can move in with you or you can add on to your home for that relative without the need of going to the zoning board or the planning board. And they, they could live with you instead of going into a government subsidized housing or any kind of uh, affordable care housing. This keeps the family unit together. It's one small thing, but it's working. And, and there are homes being built with having the ability to have that in-law apartment. And that reflects when there's no longer an in-law, it goes back to a single family home. So there are things like that we can do to, to and we need to look at the, basically the comprehensive, uh, whole comprehensive review of the permitting process. We haven't done that in the state since the late 80s. That's mm. over 30 years ago. We need to look at it in terms of environmental, affordable housing, permitting. We need to bring all the stakeholders together. Yeah, and you think how much development's gone on since then. Most but of it's commercial. Not much of it has been residential. Most of the commercial stuff, much of the development right now is commercial. That's good, but we need more residential development. And, and, and Joe, it goes beyond the, the, the development also with regulations. I know there's been efforts by the General Assembly, both House and Senate, to look at regulatory burden on our businesses. Starting a new business, sustaining a business, we need to do a better job in our regulatory um, oversight and, and start to look at some of the, uh, the burdens some of the businesses are facing. We tax them, we fee them out of business, we create roadblocks, hurdles, and it's very difficult, especially for small businesses, and I hear this regularly, to do business in the state. Now, it probably happens around the country, but we, I think, need to do a better job in working with the executive branch of government in trying to reduce the burden on our businesses as it comes to 
down to regulation the burden. Joe, let me let me stay with you. Uh, marijuana has been a huge deal, both on the medical side and the legalization. The leadership on both sides has said, look, I don't think this is the year for legalization. But the whole medical marijuana and a little bit of the struggle between the administration on the dispensaries, there's a lot of money involved. How do you see that issue playing out? over the course of the session. It's, uh, we talk about medical yeah, marijuana. Mar medical marijuana, I mean, legalization, you don't think that's going to happen, right? I personally don't think it's going to happen, but I, I know that there are some members of the General Assembly, especially the House, who are in favor of legalization, and they may put legislation in, and th that legislation would be considered. When I say that, I'm just giving you my opinion. What about medical? Medical marijuana, it is, right now there's a lot of tension around it regarding the regulations, regarding the legislation that was passed. There's a current court case that's involved, and we just introduced legislation yesterday, or maybe Wednesday, uh, House leadership introduced legislation to roll back some of the uh, regulations that we uh, promoted last year as part of the budget, I think it was budget article 15. That the governor took issue with. E exactly, and we, we, we have said publicly, and we've honored our commitment <coughs> in terms of rolling back the, you know, the separation of powers issue regarding that budget article, but there are other things going on. I think it'll play out. We're gonna have public hearings in the House. It'll be, uh, the <coughs> legislation we introduce may, may change slightly, may not, but it'll go through the process, and then there's still a court case outstanding. So there's a lot of uh, uncertainty what's gonna happen, but I will tell you, my prediction is by the end of session, you'll have a certainty on that. I think the court case will be resolved. And I think the legislation will pass. Blake? I, I, don't, I think our policy, it's uh, fits and starts. I'll start with recreational. For all intents and purposes, it's legal now. It's easier for kids to get pot than it is alcohol. If it was a regulated marketplace with vendors such as our alcohol industry, I think it would be much more difficult for children to get their hands on pot. Uh, all the arguments against legalization are things that we face now. Uh, driving while stoned, that's something we face now. Um, the problems industry has with their employees using marijuana, that's something that is faced now. You drive down the street, you smell it everywhere. I'd much rather have a regulated marketplace where we can control it, make sure it's not being sold to kids. And tax it. And, ta and tax it. I, I personally, uh, this is a, a social policy, and I don't think we should be legalizing vice because we need the money. It's more, in my perspective, a personal choice issue. Yeah, but the governor says it's not about the money, and then the state now charges $500,000. I know this is on the medical yeah. marijuana side. That's gone up <clears throat> tremendously. So, I mean, who's kidding who when we say it's not about the money? That's a hefty licensing fee, isn't I'm it? I'm saying it shouldn't be about the money. Well, it shouldn't be, but it often is. it is. Uh, I mean, as the leader, Sakachi said there are a number of issues that are surrounding the marijuana, whether it's the regulation, how, how we determine what the quantities, what the breakup of the marijuana is and things like that. And I, I've been through a couple of uh, the uh, cultivation centers, and it, it's an impressive process. I mean, it's, it's like you're walking into a, a medical laboratory. Mm. I mean, they certainly have a lot of money invested, they have a lot of employees that work there, and hopefully it, by the end of the session we're able to go through this legislation, as Joe said, resolve that lawsuit, which the Senate President has said he wants to resolve that lawsuit, and address some of the other issues with respect to medical marijuana. But we, you, we, have, we have decriminalized mar marijuana, so having little amounts yeah. of marijuana isn't a crime anymore. But you don't see legalization <clears throat> of recreational coming this session on your side? I don't see it coming on our side. Dennis? I don't see it coming out. Um, I have an open mind on it. At one time, I was vehemently opposed to it. I do have an open mind now, and Blake brings up a good point. It's, it's around us. Um, it's happening. In one way, perhaps, to control it is to legalize it. Um, 
The states around us are going to legalize it. The federal government, I don't see anything happening along the lines of uh, making it a, a, a C2, a controlled substance, a second uh, Schedule II drug for medicinal purposes. So you do have conflicts that are still out there between states and the federal government. Um, I have an open mind about it, and uh, I'll continue to have an open mind. But I'm sure legislation will be introduced, and I'm sure hearings will be held. Right. There's recreational use in Massachusetts. In Attleboro and Seekonk, you can buy marijuana for recreational use right now. Yeah, and the, but again, we go back to the money, and we've talked about it on this panel. Uh, a lot of people have said the lines you have to wait for, and the state is just taxing the heck out of it, that they say it's easier to go to my dealer than it is to stand in a line and get state-sponsored. So I think Massachusetts is still trying to work those things out, Blake. So, you know, Leader McCaffrey and my colleagues have made a comment about how we have cultivators. And I, I think the cultivators is a fine example of how we don't have a coherent strategy in this state. We license cultivators in this state. They spend over $20 million investing in the infrastructure to have cultivation businesses. We did that implicitly that if it were ever to be legalized, they'd be the supply chain. And we also wanted to create a supply chain for our medical marijuana industry. The new legislation we passed last year and the legislation that was submitted by my colleagues, I believe yesterday or the day before, it now allows the compassion centers to be cultivators as well. Um, so what we've done is we've encouraged Rhode Islanders to get into this business, and now we're changing the regulatory framework where the compassion centers can now vertically integrate and grow their own marijuana, and we're going to be putting out of business but these Rhode Islanders who actually form cultivation businesses at our urging. Did you want the last word on that? No, I just pointed out that you, you said Massachusetts is still trying to figure it out. In Colorado, they've legalized it for 11 years, and I think 10 out of the 11 years, the Colorado legislature has tweaked the laws, changed the laws, and they haven't figured it out in a final form yet. So it's an evolving process, and it's not going to be settled in one session. Speaker Mattiello on Tuesday, I know this is the other side of the chamber, but it's eventually going to wind up on your side. Speaker Mattiello talked about uh, being more open to some gun control, and that's been, it's been kind of a line. It's been incremental. Some things have passed, some haven't. Dennis, I wonder, as you, again, as you've watched with institutional knowledge on this, is, is it time or are we aiming at the right things here? Well, we've, over the years, we've, we have passed uh, gun control legislation. Uh, recently, we passed the Red Flags Law, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago. Um, we recently had an incident in Westerly, my, my town, which was uh, horrific, was very sad. And I know the Attorney General is looking at legislation, particularly when someone purchases a firearm, where to go for background, with, whether it be the local police department or the police department where the individual purchased the gun. I know that's going to be coming up. Uh, there could very well be other pieces of legislation, but um, we've passed legislation in the past, and like I said, most recently, we probably passed one of the most stringent red flag laws in the country. In the case of the guy in Westerly, though, he lied on the form about the mental health. So, I mean, he kind of went around it, right? He did. And they were, there's other um, issues that are coming out after the investigation that I, I'll wait to... to I, I would just add, add to what Dennis said about Westerly. I know the Attorney General is looking at legislation that will want to give the local police some more input into the... To be uh, able to talk to, to each other. To, yes. Talk to each right. other as well as talk to one, once the application is filed to get the gun. If They may have more knowledge with respect to that. Wait. So I, I want to see the bills that come before us. Uh, I'm concerned every year how <clears throat> tragedies are used uh, to try and take away this fundamental right. Uh, I don't remember the last time a long rifle was used in the state of Rhode Island to uh, commit a crime, but every year they use handgun crime as the justification to try and take away people's rifles. 
Uh, I feel many times on the other side there isn't really an honest debate about this. And uh, a couple times some people have been honest and said, no, the goal is to eliminate firearms. Uh, and I'm concerned about entering into negotiations with people who that is actually their goal. The speaker surprised a lot of people when it, with his comments on Tuesday because he's been traditionally what he said in his district and, and all of that and, and been supported by um, uh, the gun rights people. You've had discussions with him. You saw this coming. What do you, what do you think changed his mind or, or has him evolving on this? Well, if you look back uh, at the legislation that we've passed, this is just a natural extension of, you know, the domestic violence law we passed regarding guns, the red flag, which is being used now. I guess Jack Reed's proposing it on a federal level, and we've seen it successfully, you know, been utilized in Rhode Island. I think these ghost guns, these abilities to manufacture your own gun uh, by a computer program, and the lack of information. Right now in Rhode Island, if you go to buy a gun in a particular community, let's just say Warwick, the war police chief is notified. But if you happen to live in Cranston, and uh, that person, that chief in Cranston doesn't get notified. And who better to know who you are than the mm -hmm. local police chief? So we're already doing some of this thing, these things. We need to coordinate them. There's nothing wrong with sharing information. There's nothing wrong with having a database where law enforcement can share information. And I think that those types of things that the speaker was talking about are, are good common sense gun safety measures, and I don't think they infringe on the Second Amendment. So it's not going to be easy. It's the balance. And I, exactly, just what, what Blake said, the, the devil's in the details, but it's going to be you know, hard to do, but it's doable, and we should do it. We owe it to our constituents, we owe it to the people to protect people's fundamental constitutional rights at the same time, you know, sensible, real gun safety legislation that, that works. Let's do this. Uh, I have a couple of things I want to get to, but I'd asked each of you in lieu of we do usually outrageous or kudos. I wanted you, you know, these are the issues that grab all of the headlines. A lot of you guys, there's so many bills down there in the trenches that maybe people don't see. So I asked each of you to come and maybe talk about a piece of legislation or two that you would like to see, uh, kind of your pet bill. Mike, let's begin with you. Uh, I, I, today, the uh, governor's task force that was studying justice uh, reinvestment and criminal reinvestment is going to come out with their report. And I, I look, for, I was on the com on the task force. And that and goes back years. You've that, been interested that goes in that. back years. But this is adding on to it what they found out since then. They're going to come out with recommendations. I look forward with working with the governor and the people involved to push some of those record recommendations through that need legislative help. Other parts of it are more uh, departmental. Can they make changes to make things more efficient, such as when a prisoner is released to make sure services are properly in place for him or her? Joe, what do you have? Uh, we talked about it earlier. I'm talking of looking at comprehensive use of land use. I want to maybe revisit the commission we had in the 80s. I want to, there's so much more information we have now regarding climate change, regarding affordability, regarding permitting process. I think we can revisit that and we can work with all the stakeholders, the builders, the environmentalists, the cities and towns, the planners, to modify and change the plan that meets the 2020 decade on, not the 1980s. We need to look forward, what's the issues today, and we can address them. I'm looking at reforming that commission and repatriating it again. Okay. Dennis, what do you have down there? Water. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, you're well hydrated at the end of the set. Uh, I think we need to do a better job in addressing the mental health issues in our state. Uh, you look at some of the bad acts that have occurred over the years around our state, um, and the common denominator appears to be mental health issues. Um, I know we have private mental health facilities, state facilities, but I've spoken to attorneys that appear before the district court 
regularly. I've spoken to mental health counselors, families, and there, there's just sometimes nowhere to go to get help. And we need to do a better job either funding or providing the services for those who are suffering from mental health issues. They certainly don't belong in prison. They certainly don't belong in court. Um, they need help. We need to do a better job in assessing, giving the tools to our first responders especially to get people the help they need. Um, and the stories I'm hearing are very sad and people just don't know where to go. Uh, it, it's, it's suicide, homicide, it's drug abuse, it's, it's taxing our, 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 our resources, but we need to do a better job in getting people the, the help they need that are suffering from mental illness. Mike, what do you have? So we're going to release a robust legislative package, including uh, empowering parents in failing school districts to send their kids outside of district. Uh, but you've kind of asked for an under-the-radar thing. Mm. Uh, you know, Lassner, we in the Republican caucus are very concerned about privacy issues in this modern age. Uh, we'll be resubmitting a bill to require law enforcement to obtain a warrant before accessing your Internet search history. Uh, we think that's very important. Uh, privacy is necessary for a free society, and I think we should all be very concerned in this modern age about the, the lack of privacy that we all have now. Okay. There was, a, there was legislation that came forward last year. Leader, let me begin with you, and then we'll go right down the line. Uh, it is not criminal for a teacher in Rhode Island to have to touch sexually uh, a person, a student who's 14 years, or have sexual relations of a more serious sort if they're 16, if, it, if it, they consent. And it seems, you know, for a parent, it seems kind of upside down. That bill by Representative Marzalkowski, Alex Marzalkowski, it worked its way through. At first they said it was too broad, then it was too narrow. It wound up passing the House, but in the rush, never got over to the Senate. And I wonder, as a concept, the, uh, the unions came out and said, we don't want to be singled out. This seems pretty common sense. And I've had some people come to me and say, why can't we get this through the legislature as a concept? That bill's going to be resubmitted again this year. What do you think about that? Uh, I voted for it last time. I know uh, Alex Marzakowski from Cumberland has worked very hard on the bill. A as you said, every piece of legislation is always input, and he had to refine it and work it out. Um, it's an important issue for him. He has a constituent or several constituents who are very concerned about it. Uh, we passed it in the House. I think it passed unanimously or close to unanimously, and we'll, I suspect it will pass the House again. Uh, I share some of the concerns uh, that the teachers' unions have said that they're being singled out. Well, why not that same logic with policemen, firemen, municipal workers, other settings, hospital settings. But the reality is we have to balance everything. And the balance is that, that this has been a problem, maybe not necessarily here in Rhode Island, but it has been a problem in schools. And there are people who are concerned about it, so we acted in the House. I will think that it will pass the House again this year. If it's introduced, and I fully expect it to. If there's a companion bill on the Senate side, what do you think about that? Uh, I'm pretty sure there's going to be a companion bill put in on that this year. I'm sure the bill will work through the Senate and in one form or another will pass. We want to make sure that the students are protected and that the parents feel comfortable that there are laws in place to, to protect their children. What I didn't get about the teachers' union opposition, though, is what, I mean, so if that was the problem, you want to single out the bad apples, right, and, and get rid of them. And I understand Bob Walsh has his constituency, but it just seemed that the, the cry seemed a little misplaced to me. Yeah, but there'll be a process we'll go through with hearings, and uh, certainly both sides will be heard. And at the end of the day, I'm sure a piece of legislation will be come out that's, that's, that's acceptable. But keep in mind, we already have statutes on the book that make it illegal to assault, 
uh, to uh, uh, yeah, yeah right, we, ha- we right, already have. This statute. is a consensual <coughs> right, situation, right, right, but you have a yeah, teacher right, student. Right. So it seems I understand there's right. assault is a whole no, different right. case. But can you consent as a 16 year old? Blake, you want the last word on that? I, I think we, there's reasons we have an uh, age of consent at 16, uh, but we do have criminal penalties for abuses of special relationships. Despite yeah. that, and I think there should be criminal penalties where a teacher takes advantage of a child. All right, folks, it's a quick 30 minutes. I am sorry that is all the time we have. Joe and Blake and Mike and Dennis, thank you. Carry on with the work of the people. Uh, Go forward. And, folks, we'll be looking at the legislature every week this session. Hope you can join us back here next week as the Lively Experiment continues. Have a great weekend. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by. For more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White, Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS.